Hello, I'm Jensen Beeler. I am Cheyenne Alvandi. And together we are the Two Enthusiasts Podcast. Uh, obviously, a little bit of change has occurred. Shaheen, I was going to have something prepared, but you said I should do it. I should do it acapella. But um, obviously, there's been uh, we haven't been on on the podcast for for a while. Um, a lot of things going on behind the scenes. I don't I don't know quite how to explain this. It's um, there's obviously been some personal friction between Quentin and I. If you've been on the Facebook page, you've you've probably seen some of that. Uh, there's been a lot of life going on behind the scenes too. Um, it really hurts me to say that Quentin's dad passed away about a week ago. Between that and uh, other things, has made it really difficult for us to get a show out. It's been about I think 80 days since we've had a Two Enthusiasts podcast out. And I've uh, been listening to reruns. I got to tell you, you know, and you're not alone. I actually looked at the stats the other day, and you can see that some people have been going back and listening to old shows. Um, it is not lost on myself and I think on Quentin how important this show is to a lot of our listeners. We've um, we've built a family out of it, to be honest. And for me, it was really great to see uh, kind of the outpouring of support that that family provided for for Quentin on on the Facebook page right. when he was talking about his dad and the things kind of going on in his life. Um, you know, I think when we started, we started this three years ago, almost to the day. Um, Almost to the day from our last podcast, episode 85. I think that was actually like almost three years on the dot. Huh. Um, and we didn't really expect anything to happen from it. We didn't really expect people to listen. We didn't really expect people to get as engaged as they are. And I know it caught that that caught me by surprise. And I know for, for Quentin, that's been um, uh, a thing that, you know, he wasn't expecting. So, you know, it's it's kind of it's kind of tough right now to 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 move forward and the word I keep coming back to is the word indefinite which is one of my least favorite words in the human language because it means forever and it also means for an undetermined amount of time right and I don't know which definition we're working with here um I really hope any day of the week sometime soon Quentin will sit down on the couch and we'll we'll bang out another show for you but um I know how much this show means to people. I know how important it is in the industry and it's something I like to do. So I asked Shaheen to come in and uh, keep the spot on the couch warm for us. Just, just keeping it warm. You know, I'm, I'm a big guy and I can, I give off a lot of heat. So, I mean, the downside is, yeah, you might, you might put a divot into the couch. It I might, probably... it might fuck up the feng shui, <laughs> like just kind of like the feel of it. Um, listen, if, if I continue on doing this, I'll just keep changing my position on the couch. To be, to be fair, we redid the, um, the furniture in here to, to try and we're, we're, we've been toying with this video project. I'm not going to say much more than that. We've been toying with it. So it required a furniture changing and you're actually on the other side of the couch than, than we normally would use for, for a podcast recording. So it's, maybe it's balancing it out. I think, I think, you know, we have to keep, a, there's a little bit of sexual tension here too. So I think the mm. seven or eight feet of space between us is probably safe for both of us. You, <laughs> You are the Shaw of Brap. I am the Shaw of Brap. That was just coined yesterday, by the way, and I am so in love with that because it's always been brapping and motor brapper and motor brapping, and I was called the Shaw of Brap. A little background: I'm I'm Iranian. I'm I'm of Iranian descent, Um, and so somebody called me the Shaw of Brap yesterday. Our friend Kevin of Velamaki, and I probably spent five minutes laughing about it. It's perfect. I'm I'm attracted to your power. I want to coin it. (laughs) It's perfect. So, so just um, a little, a little background on on you, Shaheen, since since someone's gonna be hearing your voice. Um, you do a little bit of social media, Ian. 
Yep. Social media ing. Social media ing. I don't know if that's a word. We'll, we'll use it. Moto brapping. You you tell me what's in your stable. Let's start there. So I, I am. I like a little bit of everything. I've got uh, a Ducati Multistrada Enduro, which is a big adventure bike that does everything and goes everywhere with me. I probably put about fifteen thousand miles a year on that thing. I've got an old nine 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 S, which is also a Ducati. For those of you who don't know. Uh, that's my primarily for, my track. For those like, playing the Ducati drinking game, oh yeah, you're going to get drunk with Shane. Yeah. It's going to be a wild way, I, I've time. I've been buzzed with the half the time listening to this, yeah. so I, I get it. Uh, so yeah, I've got the two Ducatis, and then I've got a moment of silence. But I've got an Alta and uh, an EX. Uh, silence because it's electric. No, well, yeah, are, are we, first of all, are we it's electric, positive? and then because it's you know that company is gone. I'm actually genuinely sad that that company is for now indefinitely. It's Don't indefinite. Know. It's again, it's the word <laughs> indefinite. It, it'll kill you. So there's so many, there's so many stories, Shaheen, that uh, I've been wanting to, to talk about and share with our listeners over the last, you know, couple months. And that is definitely one of the bigger ones. I don't want to get into it too much, but you know, at the time of this recording, I don't know what to say about Alta. I don't know what the future holds for them. For, for me, the company, the product is so good. It's so good. So you, good. you bought one. It's so, it's so good. I bought one. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, Diehard Ducatista. Yeah. So you drank the Kool-Aid. You got on the electric train. Yep. And and like truthfully, like I've been reading a couple things, uh, especially in non-endemic, uh, like electric publications that don't necessarily deal with motorcycles, but just with electrics. And they're like, well, if the product was better, then they would have been able to do that. Like, no, 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 no. You mm-hmm. don't understand. The product was better. The product was better than anything else out on the market. It's better than what KTM was producing. It was better yep. than what Zero was producing. Um the company obviously has some cash issues. There's there's so many things that could be said about that. I'm, I'm working on a story right now. But the short version is it takes so much money to launch a motorcycle company. You need just... I can only imagine. Ballpark $100 million. Just ballpark it. Um, I want to say Alta. I haven't gone back and looked. It's somewhere between 20 and 40 million. Like 30, 25, 30 sounds right in my head, but it might be higher. Which to, to those of us who are mere mortals is a lot of money. It's but a lot to, of money, to but start a global company. That's still about half to a third of what you really need. Right. And um, for me, that's the fatal, that's been the fatal flaw. Just not raising, the ability to raise enough capital. And I don't know where that issue necessarily stems from. I know a little bit behind the scenes, there's there's some complexities when you're raising capital and working with other companies that, that can complicate the matters. I'm not sure if Silicon Valley is the greatest place to have a motorcycle startup just because those investors, the people that you're going to be running into, I would say, right. like on a more, not a casual basis, but just like in a proximity basis, that's not really the kind of investment they're looking for. No. Um, I mean, in theory, there's a lot of money to get thrown out, around over there, but that's not their wheelhouse. They don't understand it. No, they're they're more used to, to, to tech, like real tech, where right. it's like an app or it's a website or it's a service or a platform or it's a... 100x opportunity technology, which, I mean, electric is going to be disruptive, but it's not 100x return disruptive. <laughs> not yet, anyways. Um, I mean, transportation is a very mature market. It's changing. It's going to change in some meaningful ways, but I don't know if electric motorcycles are the disruption. Autonomous vehicles might be. Right. Um, uh, ride sharing kind of things could be. Ownership sharing. Um but well, motorcycles, motorcycles are, are still, and they probably will for a long time in the in this in this country in America, be considered a a toy, right? It's something it you yeah. you're you're spending your discretionary income on. It's not it's not a car. You don't have to have it. We're not Europe where it's considered you know just a regular daily uh, uh, machine that 
I mean, here to this day, when I ride my motorcycle, the one, the thing that I think is normal to me every day, I have conversations on a daily with people who go, wow, I can't believe it. I can't believe you ride a motorcycle. Like it's this crazy phenomenon. And and it is, if you look at the numbers of it, what is it? Three, 4% of Americans ride motorcycles. Yeah. Well, and understand too, like the, the, the climate here is, isn't the industry isn't doing well. The industry is going to drop about seven, 8% uh, in sales volume this year. Yep. Um, and that's not just Harley dragging things down. That's pretty much across the board. Um, just about every company I've looked at. I think KTM is the only one that's up, except for like Suzuki's up a couple points. And there's a couple of people that are kind of like treading water. Yamaha's down like 20% on his big bikes, uh, 500 cc's and up. Um, so things are kind of crazy. And and that's the outlier. Like, Europe is up right now. Europe's up uh, 3 4%. Hmm. I'd have to go back and double check it, but it's up a solid single digit. Uh, and and has been continuously for the last you know four or five years, so there's something going on in the U.S. market, and that makes it tough to 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 pitch a company like Alta. Um, I've always thought the team was really strong. I always thought the product was really strong. I never really understood why they had such an issue raising capital, and um, you know at this point, I, I think it's a shame. I think it'd be like a crime against motorcycling if another brand doesn't come in and acquire them. Yeah. And and continue forward, not just to acquire the technology and to whatever, to to make that brand happen. Uh, I mean, I look at like a, a Polaris as a great example. Like, you know, they, they bought into Brama, they had victory. There's a great argument for a brand like Polaris to come in and set up Alta and its dealer network and grow from there. Or, um, you know, some sort of investor that has more of a background in manufacturing like uh uh, a TPG, which which was owning Ducati for a while, or an Invest Industrial, which also <laughs> Ducati for a while. Uh, <laughs> one's Italian, one's uh, American, however. So, I, again, I come back to this word indefinite. It every day that goes by, it the prognosis gets worse. Right. But I have a lot of hope that that's not the case because I think that would be a really big shame. I've been saying it since I heard the news. I, I would I would hate for Alta to be just another blip in the motorcycling radar, right? They, they, they've been doing something amazing and their product is hands down probably one of the coolest things I've ever experienced as a motorcyclist who's been riding for 23 years now. So yeah. to come across something like that, I mean, it, it really reinvigorated my my love for motorcycling. And I'm not a dirt guy by, you know, by practice. So this is all new to me. But to be on something like this that feels kind of like a cheater bike. I mean, I can go out there with the likes of you who know what you're doing on the dirt and, no, and no, not I'm be a, that far behind. I'm like not even a B level. Oh, dude. Rider. I mean, That's I'm like a D minus level at this point, <laughs> but but it's letting me do it. And I don't feel sheepish about it. And it's a really cool machine. And as soon as I show up at the local OHV park, everyone's like, dude, is that an Alta? And, you know, there's all kinds of questions, but typically it's it's met with love. Puns aside, it felt like the company was gaining traction. That that's the thing that kills me. <laughs> yeah. I, I was talking to someone uh, inside the company recently, and they were telling me the sales numbers. And sales were growing. Sales were booming. They were doing about a thousand units this year. That's so, amazing. Like, and and you look at where they were last year and the year before that. I mean, there was real growth there. I think part of that is the they the price drop they did. I don't know how they're making money on that. I don't think they were, but when it showed that if priced competitively against gas, right the market would react. The market was there for it. They were saying, yes, this this product, despite whatever limitations there are on electrics, we will go out and buy that because of the advantages that it brings mm-hmm. if priced against a comparable gas bike. So, you know, they just did a lot of market research 
for somebody. Um, and again, that's one of those things where I sit there. I'm like, I don't know how you don't fund this company. We're looking at the market response to the price point. Like you're literally mapping out the demand curve. Yeah. Here. Um, so, you know, hopefully, hopefully by the time this podcast comes out, something has changed or, or something's going to change in the near future. Uh, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Um, man. Until then, I know I know a couple of people that are looking for jobs. If you need a sales guy or a tech guy or uh, some management people, uh, <laughs> give me a buzz. I think I, I think I got some for we you. We got some people for you. Yeah, um, Shaheen, I did want to sit down. We kind of, we kind of just riffed on a on a few topics we didn't really plan to. They're not in the show notes, <laughs> but I invited you over to talk about Eichma because we just had the Eichma show in Milan, Ugh. and I finally caught up on my sleep. I'm almost hydrated back you, again. You look nearly human again. It's pretty impressive it's, how, how quickly you bounce up from I mean, you saw this. me in my bathrobe. I, mean, <laughs> I did. It's, it, there was a lot going on there. Um, so so there's there's a few bikes I want to talk about, a few things going on. Uh, we saw at the ICMA show. There was, there was one thing I wrote that I want to preface just a little bit, and I think it kind of ties back to Intermont. It's just maybe managing expectations. Right. Because... Intermont was pretty disappointing. Eichma, I would say, like just passed. It wasn't it wasn't that bad, but it wasn't that great either. But I think the reason for that is the Euro five emission homologation, which is coming out for new bikes in twenty twenty and for existing bikes in twenty twenty one. So what does that mean in layman's terms? Basically, uh tailpipe emissions cut them in half. Tailpipe emissions from Euro four cut them in half. Wow. So it's pretty which seems already pretty strict at Euro four. It, Euro four. The big thing with Euro four really was noise. The emission, the tailpipe thing wasn't so bad. Most of the companies were pretty much there. Hmm. There's enough systems that have already been developed to to get them there pretty easily. That's where we saw a lot of these big muffler cans, uh, kind of coming from big catalytic converters. Yeah, all those under underbody uh, double double yeah double chambers. Um, but actually, the double chamber really is more for noise. It's more of about the noise was such a big thing. And it, Euro 4 really required companies not to look at just their tailpipe noise, but the engine noise coming off the clutch cover, coming off the cylinder head, coming off the body panels and the frame. Uh, you saw a lot of companies putting in like sound deadening material using plastic uh, covers in a lot of cases and really fine tuning where their noises are. We saw a lot of companies able to reduce the tailpipe noise and increase the intake noise so for the noise for the rider yeah. it actually sounded better yep but the noise for the the person standing by was less and that's kind that's of interesting my, my ducati multistrada is such a prime example of that it's not a particularly loud motorcycle but the intake noise is 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 impressive i mean you sit on this thing and you hit it and it just sounds like a beast and so it kind of gives you that feeling right you're like hey yeah i've got all power i'm doing all the things yeah. And, and it's funny, I took the tank off the thing to do a little bit of work on there and to find like what looks like a, a blanket on yeah. top of the air cover. Exactly. And that and that's part of that. That's that part of that that noise. We'll let you see that. We'll see that in the fairings. Right. Um, so the big thing with Euro 5 really is tailpipe emissions and it's really stringent and it's having, um, for the companies that haven't been doing the work and haven't been investing in their power plants and you know their, their drive train technology... <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna make things difficult for them yeah so i think i think that's part of the reason like we're not seeing a lot of things from the japanese manufacturers we'll get into that a little bit but i think that's part of the things that's that's really been holding back the big four 
I think that's why some of the European manufacturers maybe we are doing more conservative product iterations this this cycle because 2019 it's like well it's the year before everything changes yeah like, everything I mean that's that's I always wondered about the 2019 show because what are you going to show aside from sort of like mid model changes right yeah it's kind of um it's kind of a prisoner's dilemma where it's one of those things where like do you hold back your product for 2020 or 2021 and and get the development time or do you recognize that the market's going to be doing that and you sneak in a new model that might only that maybe it's pretty close it wouldn't take much to get to euro five right and you and you capitalize on on having um that model be the fresh hot thing in the space while no one else has anything i think actually the bmw S1000RR, which wasn't on our list of things to talk about. <laughs> uh, so we're already off to a good a good start. But I think that's where that bike comes from. I think that's BMW looking at the marketplace and being like, okay, so the Japanese are just not bringing out new superbikes. Ducati already brought one out. The RC4 is going to basically stay in how it is until probably 20, 2021. Um, so we'll, let's get in. Let's, let's, let's be the asymmetrical warfare. We're going to be the only new superbike on the market for 2019. Yeah. And that's that's a great opportunity for us and you know if we just fiddle with this thing there and that thing there it's zero five compliant no big deal or we've got now they've bought themselves two more years of the bmw s 1000 rr not having to be zero five compliant so they don't have to touch that thing until 2021 that's which that's isn't pretty bad brilliant strategy. of the germans no um the germans are very clever the germans are smart um <laughs> i almost called you quentin <laughs> Oh, <laughs> nuts. Uh, Shaheen, one of the things that I think we talked about before the show, and when you said it, I was like, yes, we have to. MV Augusta. Ugh. Ugh. MV Augusta for me stole the show. I think they won Eichma for me. It's, I'm so glad to see that brand bringing sexy back. Like, I mean, come on, man. We're we're both, I'm, I'm almost 40. You're, you're in your mid-30s. Uh, we grew up looking I, at the MV Augustas and just drooling during the break i turned 36 i got older it literally Look, so aged he me. just he yeah exactly see how it works just more gray hair <laughs> um yeah i mean mv i think you have to back it out a little bit before the eichma show they announced that they had secured 40 million in investment wow okay from um their russian investor uh timor saradov so that completed they'd already he'd already invested 10 million into the company before which kind of basically got them out of hot water but this $40 million really sets them up um, and provides a lot of stability. And I think the first byproduct of that that we're seeing is the MV Augusta Brutale 1000 Siri Aura, which is a mouthful. so many words. but So many words. Kind of makes sense. Brutale 1000 is the new uh, four-cylinder platform. It's not really new. It's the F4 RC engine with some changes wedged into um, you know a naked bike. Um, but the Siri Aura is something that MV Augusta does pretty, I want to say frequently, but when they come out with a, with a big new bike, they usually do this gold series, this gold edition. Yep. And it costs, I was being told, 43,000 euro. They haven't settled on that price yet, but it's going to be north of $40,000 in the US. Um, they're only gonna it make, seems to be the going rate for Italian, hot Italian bikes uh, in this in this year that thing's that thing's super hot i want one super bad i'm trying to figure out if i can mortgage my house or or what we can do 
Um, I got I got a kidney or two. I don't really need. I, I mean, I, how much I, does dialysis cost? You know, can you Google that for I, me? You, listen, I bet I if the two care. of us got into it, we could probably have kind of a little timeshare. Oh yeah, we get a little halvesies on it. Maybe that's a thing. I mean, they have I'll like uh, rent to cool car programs, and you can do a rent to cool mo- own a cool motorcycle program. Truthfully, like you want to go down a rabbit hole. Uh huh. I think that's the future of motorcycling. See? I think motorcycling as a service is the new thing. I don't think we're going to own bikes five, ten years. Uh, five years, I think we will. Ten years, I don't think we will. I think we'll be like a, uh, a subscription service yeah. where I sign up for the MV subscription service and I get to ride a Brutale for three months and then I bring it back and I get a Trismo Veloce for That's three months. That's a brilliant idea. I mean, we're already paying for our motorcycles on a monthly basis. Who do you Most know that people pays are. cash for their bikes, right? Most people are already paying on, on a monthly basis because they yeah. financed it. So, I mean, that's my background. That's my original background in motorcycling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> should, should we even go over that? The definition of background. I am. I, I was a finance manager at a motorcycle dealership for 13 years of my life. And so, I, I promise you, more than 60% of people buying motorcycles didn't have cash on their hands. So, if you're already making monthly payments for it, how cool would it be if you go in there and say, hey, I want to be a part of the subscription that allows me to pay X amount of dollars to go up to, let's say, I don't know, an F800 and then I can pay a little bit more. I can have a, you know, the 1200 and then I can pay a little bit more and have the cool race version and et cetera, et cetera. That, that I think if you're listening motorcycle industry, there's a lot of fixes for your issues. I think that's, I think that's huge. Um, it's definitely something I've been thinking about a lot now that we're after we're post ICMA. Um, I really want to get out a series that I've been working on called the motorcycle theory of everything. Ooh, and this is and this is one of the really important components. It's just talking about ownership in general and talking about, um, you know, as new like like for me the the millennial generation coming in, like, you know, we don't own cars. We have Lyft, we have Uber, we have yeah. all these other ride sharing, car sharing things. We don't. We're not. There were, the millennials are very resistant to home ownership. There's a lot of rental. There's a lot of Airbnb. There's a lot of staying home with your parents. You know, the the economy and the way that they are using money, everything really is like a monthly on a monthly fee basis. The cost of life is much higher now for, for the millennials than it was for the previous generations, even. With the whole I mean, there's a whole other element of that in, in terms of debt load, in terms of earning potential, in terms of income and wages. I mean, this is why I call it the theory of everything, because it's it's not just one thing. It's a it's a web of different issues that right. are all interconnected. Right. And you pull on one string and it pulls on four other, you know, nodes. So um, it's something to look forward to. But this this concept of ownership and this concept of of you know what the industry looks like going forward is is something that's definitely percolating in my mind. And you see it in the car industry. BMW has a has a subscription service. I think Cadillac just shut theirs down because they did it in a really stupid way that just was going to lose them money no matter what they did. There's this idea like you could like they would deliver the car to you and like every like month you could get like a different car and they're just getting killed on delivery fees. I think I think there's there's been I don't know if there will be, but there's always been a, a sort of thought process, at least in America, of ownership, right? If you own a car, then you own this freedom. If you own a motorcycle and you own this freedom. But let's get real. How many of us own our vehicles outright? Well, I mean, I mean, you're asking the wrong person. I have five vehicles in my garage. I own them all out. Right? So you're, but you're, you're, you're now the. Honestly, I think you're the exception. The rule used to be that, right? Uh, you don't buy something That's unless OG. you can afford That's it. Old it's school. super OG. Yeah. So now everybody's making monthly payments. Everything's about monthly budgets. How much can I afford? I make X amount of months uh, dollars per month. I want to own all these things. We we also have this sense of entitlement. We feel like we deserve that thing, right? We we want to figure out a way to own that. V4R. We want to figure out a way to own that new cool forerunner. But at 
who's got forty thousand dollars in their pocket for either the four hundred or the V four R? It's super tough. And and I mean, we're really going down the rabbit hole now. I'm just looking at where <laughs> we're going. Just like I've just got my flashlight. And I'm looking into the cave. I'm like, well, that goes direct. Goes really deep. It's super deep. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of statistics that show that most people. First of all, most people have you know I think it's sixteen thousand dollars in debt on average. Oh yeah. Um, most people don't have access to in credit or in savings twenty five hundred dollars. I think it's something like forty to sixty percent. Wow. Don't have just like just like basic amount. And and it came about. I think it was Bloomberg there was looking at it or. Uh, it was one of the financial magazines, but it was basically saying like, you know, your your typical life emergency is going to cost you about upwards of $2,500. That's what your like medical deductible might be. Mm-hmm. That's what an, you know, a transmission in your car might be. That might be um, an emergency flight to go see, you know, a loved one that's dying or an emergency like I got to get out of Europe right now kind of thing or whatever right. it is. Last minute flight, uh, transatlantic flight. Whatever it is, it's going to cost you up to $2,500. So they, they were looking at like, well, who actually has access to that? Mm-hmm. And it turned out that a majority of Americans don't, either in savings or in credit, which is crazy in my mind. Like if you don't have like $2,500 saved, like get on it. Oh, it's bonkers. Um, if you don't have $25 in credit, like what are you doing yep. with your credit score and your your life? But no judging there, by the way, but just get it together. Get your shit together. Make, make like Aprilia and get your shit together. <laughs> Um, but so like take that idea and then like, oh, so you're going to, how are you going to buy it? Cause cars are ridiculously expensive. You're going to spend 30 grand at least on a car. Like if it has decent features on it, a Honda Accord can be priced up to 40, 45 grand now. Dude, a Jeep Wrangler now can cost as much as $55,000. A Jeep fucking Wrangler. It's, have you been in one? It's a rickety, uh, listen, no offense to you Jeep lovers. I love them too, but it's a rickety piece of shit, but it costs 55 up to. Right. So the point is. You're not buying enough cash. <laughs> and, and if you had enough cash, there's so many credit incentives. If you're smart with your money, be like, yeah, no, I'm definitely going to finance that on your 0% APR right. program. Right. And then when it comes along, maybe pay off my thing at one lump when you jack up my rate or whatever it is. But um, yeah, the times the times have definitely changed. So um, all that to say, you're going to figure out a way to buy a uh, 2019 Augusta Brutale 1000 Serie Oro. I can't. I can't afford $43,000 motorcycle. I can't Jensen, it has winglets. That. I mean, it, it has winglets. The thing is sexy. It's a naked bike with winglets, by it's the way. Got, the concept of that really kind of... Well, it's because they put a super bike engine in it. It's like the most super of it's the engines. 205 horsepower. Now, I, I should preface, and, and regular readers of Asphalt and Rubber will notice, my horsepower figures are different from everyone else's. They sure are. Because I am fighting the good fight against metric horsepower figures and the I bullshit that comes that. with that. I appreciate it very much so as all a reader. Of our, all of our figures are tried and true American horsepower, <laughs> what the British call brake horsepower. Right. Stupid Brits. Although... Yep. I mean, so I guess I guess they invented <laughs> it, but but actually, I think was he a Scot? No, they're all from the same island. It doesn't matter. Google that shit. They're all from the same island. They're all <laughs> British in my book. Um, but we're also I will put the kilowatt power next to it. So it's a 205 horsepower, 152 kilowatts. If you happen to live in Europe and need to do the conversion, I've left you all the information you need. But yep. we live in America, and America. we're going to talk about an American horsepower. <laughs> but still, 205 horsepower is nutty. It's naked. When was the last time you took your naked? Uh, you actually, you've I got do. one of the coolest naked bikes on the planet downstairs in your garage. I love my Street Fighter 1098, but it sucks. 150 miles an hour plus sucks. Oh, I can't imagine going over 120, 130 on that thing. I, I, again, I'm a big dude. I'm 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 not as tall as you, but I feel like I'm a little bit wider for some reason because I'm. I got broad shoulders, but 
but Dude, I mean, going yeah. down, imagine going down the front straight of PIR, just balls out. No, yeah, I have to get, <laughs> I, no, it's true because you come out of turn nine, I really have to set my body up, move my ass back, get my head down as low as I can because by the time you hit a buck 20, buck 30, yeah. if you're not set up where you need to be, you're not going to get your body there. No, if your not head's not down, you're not going to be able to physically get it down and then you're just going to be basically pulled off the bike as you, uh, you know, accelerate into turn one. Um, so that's, that's, I mean, that, that's the reason naked bikes don't have 200 horsepower and, 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 because it's the the R the F four R C motor, it's going to make it all up top. So it's going to lose a little bit in the mid range. I'd be I'd be very curious to ride this bike and see what it what it actually I feel, is I like. I feel like MV's saying, "Do you want to go 180 miles an hour in your naked bike? We got you, bro." I think here here's how I read this bike. I feel like MV got its money. It's got 40 million euros, and they're just like, "Hey, uh, I don't know if there's a memo." that's being circulated that says we fuck around <laughs> but we don't and this is this bike is proof of that um it is envy augusta your bitch i no. mean i feel like i'm envy augusta's bitch now i mean this thing's rad I'm, I, I'm super stoked when i saw it i think adrian morton his team um at the castiglione research center nailed the design uh it's got all the cool parts that i would want um I feel I feel like nothing. I'm going to take credit for the dash on this bike. I don't know if that's actually the case, but I've been hounding them about their miserable dash units for years. Uh, I've, and I've, I've even been gotten, listening to you I've for even years. gotten, I wouldn't say yelled at during press presentations, <laughs> but definitely uh, given a nod on on certain things that come to the dash. It's like you like being slapped by Italian CEOs. Uh, I Italian CEOs and I, uh, <laughs> yeah, no words. Um, but the TFT dash looks great. It looks well laid out. It looks it looks high tech. It looks ultra premium. They want to be the ultra premium brand. They're finally looking ultra premium. I look at this bike and I say, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. 205 horsepower, super bike engine, mm-hmm. fucking winglets off the radiator shroud, mm-hmm. carbon fiber this, aluminum, titanium that. Awesome design, awesome engineering. Yeah, that's ultra premium. Yeah, you want to charge 43,000 euros for it? Absolutely. It makes sense. That's what a 43,000 euro bike should look like. Yes. So right on in Vegasta. And then they come out with that super veloce 800 concept. Holy moly. I, I so I, I go through asphalt and rubber several times a day. As you should click the ads. As you should click, click oh, the you're, ads. You're an ANR pro now. I am an ANR. Thank uh, you for dinner. Uh, you're my pleasure. <laughs> um, if you're not an ANR pro member, what are you doing? <laughs> I like your it plug. It doesn't cost that much. I like your plug. And you get everything you need. Um, so that being said, uh, as uh, I usually skim. I, I'm, I'm kind of a quick reader, so I skim a couple of pictures. It's like looking at Playboy during the day without getting in trouble. <laughs> but I stopped dead in my tracks looking at that bike. That might be the prettiest thing I've seen uh, come out of any manufacturer for so long. It's it's dead sexy. I I really like the F three eight hundred, which is what it's based off of. Right. It's the same chassis and engine. Um, this has got that retro thing going. I love the exhaust. I love the asymmetrical two on the right, Big one on the left exhaust design. Uh, I think it's SC Project is who they partnered with. <laughs> so it's going to be a little noisy. Um, it's going to be a little rowdy. <laughs> I know that MV their next four cylinder bike for the twenty twenty model year is going to be a cafe racer that isn't a cafe racer and i wonder if this is them teasing that concept or if this is a different vein i haven't had a chance to talk to anyone there about it yet um but it's got me thinking that we could see a four-cylinder production model that looks like this right or maybe this is somewhere they want to take the the three-cylinder platform because truthfully 
the 2019, I don't know if you saw, I posted it today, the the colors for the 2019 yeah. F3s yep. look fantastic. Uh-huh. But that design, like, it's almost a decade now. It's, God, I feel like it's more than that even. I'd have to go back because they, they showed it and then it took them like two years to get to market, yeah. which is a horrible idea. And we're going to talk about that in a minute when we get to it's Yamaha. Italian timing, Jensen. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we, we in the Iranian community call it Persian standard time. Persian Everything's standard a time. little bit later than you think it's going to be. Yeah. Uh, there's a little bit of that going on. But you know what? MV came out swinging. The, they had a great concept. They have a great production bike. Um, they've done a pretty good refresh to their, their line. It feels pretty good. They got money. Uh, I think they're going to start signing up some dealerships. I saw that they're going to be down at Long Beach with the new, uh, well, I should say new, new, but with the new MV Augusta USA CEO. Nice. And um, Brian Gillen is going to be down there. He's the head of. Are you talking uh, about the International Motorcycle Show? Or? Yeah, in Long Beach. So that's going to be November 21st, like I think, right? This weekend, isn't it? Holy moly. No, no I thought it was the 21st. I think it's a, is it? I don't know. I've lost track. I lost track. Like, You're still I, in ICMA I, world. ICMA ends and I like <laughs> shut down. Like the world, like this is the year actually stopped for me. I'm like a, on like a 11 a month fiscal year. I can always tell you're back to life because you usually send me a text like, hey, what's for dinner? Hey, hey Jensen's alive. Hey, what are you guys doing? Hey, can I, come, can I invite myself over for dinner? This is very happy. Even my wife gets worried about you after a while. Can I, can I just like come into your house and have your dogs <laughs> yip at me? Um, oh, and they will. Oh, they do. Oh, man. Oh, truly. And Tia. They're both, they both yip. Anywho, um, yeah, really stoked where Envy's going. Really curious to see what the future holds for them. Um, can't wait to ride this Brutale 1000. I really hope that this this starts the next chapter for them. I really, uh, I like where this brand is headed. Yep. It seems like, oh, we, you know, we didn't talk about how um, Giovanni Castiglione has stepped down as CEO and chairman of the board. That's kind of a big bit he's, of news. He's just now the president. So he's kind of going to be in charge of like the operational side, which is going to be mostly product design, product placement, the branding, the the kind of I would say the things that that the Italians do really well. This uh, this might be the reason they're coming out with so many sexy things. He's he's able to be creative. I think so. I think it takes something off his plate because, and this kind of dovetails into the the Alta conversation. Having someone like Timor, who who's more who's got a finance background and can have his job solely be on raising capital, mining the books, making sure like, hey, Giovanni, you've got $10 million to play with this year. Right. Not $10 million and $1, $10 million, <laughs> and holding holding him accountable to that. And it sounds like technically I think he I think he's got the controlling share in the company now. I haven't heard anyone say anything about controlling interests, but typically when someone takes over as chairman of the board, they have the the largest interest in the company. So that's a big deal if that's the case. That's a, that's a um, really, really big deal. And I think if that's true, I think that's actually going to kind of help them in a way because I think that's going to add a lot of confidence to to the and dealers and customers and things like that. They've got a lot of in market investment that they need to do, especially in the United States, um, getting parts, getting warranties, getting quality, getting dealers, getting events. So it's good to see them at Long Beach because that's a step in the right direction. And hopefully we see them at other things in the in the future. Very nice. Um, okay, we got one bike down. Five more to go. We're only, what, like an hour into the show? Um, we we teased this a little time. bit. This is the one that was at the top of my list. I think this is I think this is the second most important story to come out of the show. I think MV was the most important. But for me, the Yamaha Tenere 700 
not coming out as a 2019 uh, model year bike. It's it's insane. I lost my shit, Shaheen. I, I, I don't know. It. I don't know how how frank I can be on this show, but You're pretty frank. What the fuck, Yamaha? We got the explicit thing on iTunes. We're fine. Okay, because that's. I mean, listen. I'm. I'm I love that you said that. My headline, my original headline was literally what the fuck Yamaha. <laughs> and I'm trying to be a better person in life and like like typed it back. Oh man, I, I'm it's it's as if they're trying to let KTM own that segment as well. I don't understand. I mean, I do kind of understand it. The problem is, is when they showed us that concept, that was like literally like day one of that bike existing. That was like the first day that that bike no longer existed in some sort of rendering, some sort of creative sketch, some sort of memo, you know, Jerry Maguire style. It was supposed <laughs> to be a memo. This feels very un-Japanese, by the way. It was like they shared that way too soon. And I feel like they were just trying to like stake their claim in the space. And you'd be like, okay, so you showed us the concept in 2016. Was it 2016? Yeah, it was 2016. Yeah, And they were like, we're like going, okay, yeah, cool. We'll see it next year as a 2018 bike. Oh no, it's still a prototype, but we're going to take it on a world tour (laughs) to do like marketing. You're like, well, that's dumb, but okay. So 2019 model. Then we show up and you're like, no, it's going to be late 2019. So you're going to miss the entire riding season in Europe before the spike comes out. Yep. And then because of uh, the US production is going to be done in Japan instead of Europe, which by the way, I don't understand how this is actually an explanation on why this bike is a 2021 uh, model year bike for the United States, but that's their story. I, you're making it in Japan. What the, the they don't have boats from Japan to the United <laughs> States? Well, you can't make it quicker. Do you think it's a? I mean, I, I really wondered at, at this point. I'm starting to wonder what the real reason is. Is it an money. emissions issue? Is no, it a, money? This is this is an this is so this is a, they're going this, to lose money. This is over a middleweight this. adventure touring bike. That is based off the MT-07 platform. So this right. engine's already been built. Yep. The bulk of this chassis, I don't know if this cha- how much this chassis differs from the street bike, but in theory, the chassis could carry over. Um, the prototype was basically an MT-07 with the WR forks on it. Yep. You know, and a, and a bigger shock. Like, they didn't change a ton. Um, so there's a lot of things here that you're just like, uh, guys, you already built the bulk of this machine. Like, what's it taking you so long? I think it comes down to money. I think Yamaha is doing much worse than people think they are, especially in the United States. Right. It comes back to that 20% sales drop. Uh-huh. Um, so I don't think that helps getting us the bike in the United States, but it's still it's still kind of fucked when it comes to Europe too. Like you've basically missed the 2020 riding season. So Absolutely. it might as well be a 2020, a 20, or sorry, you basically have missed the 2019 riding season. So it might as well just come out spring 2020 because there's no real difference there here's what's really going to happen in reality but buyers especially motorcycle buyers are are an impulsive bunch and so when you are wetting that many appetites that early and you're not going to come out with something these buyers are going to need to find something else to put their butts on right it's total product fatigue and i've already started forgetting about this bike Shane. yeah at this point when i see it come up i get a little bit angry and i just you know scroll over I think I think the price on this thing is going to be bitching. I hope it is. That, you think be, it'll be sub ten? It has to be. It has to be sub ten when it comes out. Because if it's not, then it's the KTM seven ninety adventure, and that's a better bike. Yep. Without having ridden either machine, I can just look at the spec. What, what is the what is the seven ninety R? We don't have right pricing now. in US, but do we the, have an estimate? My estimate on the base model seven ninety adventure is going to be ten five eleven ish. Okay, and then the R model, so let's say thirteen twelve thirteen. Let's call it fourteen thousand, just for shits and giggles here. 
like fully loaded with bags and everything. Yeah. If that Yamaha comes in at 10, 10, 10, five, probably. I can see some people waiting saying, you know, I'll, I'll wait and save the 3,500 bucks. But I'm again, I'm an impulsive buyer. And for all these other people going back to our original conversation, these are monthly payers. So an additional $3,000 uh, is going to be about 60 bucks a month difference. If that's going to break your bank, don't buy a motorcycle, period. <laughs> so just, you know, you're going to end up buying this KTM. So it's it's going to end up owning that segment, at least for that first year. So you're going to have, you're going to have lost thousands of buyers. And, and I get that they're having potentially money problems, but it's a weird, vicious cycle where you're not having enough money to build this thing and you're losing money by not, by not building this thing. It's crazy. It's just, I, I think back to the KTM RC8, which came out as a concept in 2003, I yeah. believe. I still love that. And then finally got into production in like 2005, but they built like five of them. Right. I don't think it got to the U.S. until 2008. And you know what? By then it's five years later. Yeah. And there was bikes that were doing circles around. I've moved. I've moved on in every way. And like you just said, like the market has moved on. It's got more competitive. You can, if you're on the market right now for a middleweight adventure bike, whether that's like a V-Strom 650, uh, F75, uh, F750 or 850, or. Or, or one of these KTM 790s, like you could buy one of those, ride it for two years, yep. maybe a little bit longer, and then pick up um, a T7, a Tenere 700 at the end of 2020 or 2021 and get it at, you know, whatever dealer blowout end of the year price it could be. Like you could literally own a motorcycle before this thing finally comes out. Yeah. The average motorcycle ownership, what was it? We were two, 24 months about. Yeah. Like, like you, again, if it was a service. You could have you do your twenty four month service. I think you got something and, with that. I'm just that, that that is probably one of the best ideas in the two wheel world. Here, here's the other thing with this bike, and I, I think this bike's going to be actually pretty good when it comes out. I think it's going to be cheap, and I think it's going to be capable. Oh yeah, but we don't know that. So that's me just kind of hoping. Without also, real, we don't know who if someone else is going to come out with like what if Honda drops a bomb as soon as that comes out, right? The so, Africa Twin 750? That, huh? Well, we were talking about the show before the show that Honda CRF 450L uh-huh. rally concept. Yep. That could be a production model before this this Tenere is. <laughs> Potentially could be. You know, like I, I have a feeling that could be a 2020 model year bike. And I, that and that would be it's not quite a 700. It's it's a single versus a parallel twin, which is gonna have different weights and on-road off-road capabilities but i feel like i mean that would definitely take out some of the sales you know and i think and i think on the other end of it the ktm will take out a bunch of sales i think there's a really good chance that this bike under the best conditions good pricing good capability is dead on arrival and if they overprice it and if it turns out to be a pig off-road no one's fucking buying this bike no and i mean if you read any forums the 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 tone has changed significantly in the last two years on that bike Watching, they did a so they launched it on Facebook Live. Well, they they, they live streamed their their presentation at right. on Facebook, and YouTube has caught on to this now, where you can do live commenting as well. So you see the comments. Oh come boy, up. yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> so the entire the entire Yamaha presentation, you can tell like this is the only bike people cared about. Everyone's like, get to the Tenere already. Shut up about your R three. <laughs> Who is this guy? <laughs> Like clearly, and that's the only bike they have coming out. Like they they didn't really bring out anything worthwhile at no. at Eichma besides this. Like what the the Nikon GT? You took a Nikon, you put bags on it. You don't need to Ooh. call it a new model. That's just parts catalog shit. Come on. Um, 
but it finally gets there and you just saw the enthusiasm just go oh my god are you fucking kidding 2020 2021 right. are you right. fucking out of your 2021 mind? for the u.s market i think for the u.s 2020 Jesus i mean it'll left. be it'll be they say um second half 2020 which could mean like late summer early autumn or it could mean december we don't really know it's pretty vague but typically that means like late summer early fall that i mean which uh, would be close to the end of the riding season here yeah, as well exactly that's people have already bought their bikes they've already made their plans they're already gone yeah that's uh i i have a lot of i have a lot of hopes for that model i think that the adventure you know touring middleweight segment is going to be the next big thing yes um, i agree you know that, and that comes from somebody who rides an you know extra large adventure bike <laughs> the thing's massive you, man you got the super size it's, it's definitely the super size me version just speaking of just 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 to, just to cut in yeah. super, super deluxe after this Ooh, we yes. got we got a little burger place up the street called super deluxe it's it's portland's answer mm, to in and out kind of yeah kind of miserable to get in and out of horrible service pretty good though yeah yeah it's just, that's a free plug you're welcome guys. you're welcome super we're gonna deluxe. eat some of your food anyone that lives in the portland area give it a try good it's chicken a damn nugget good damn good burger but good chicken nuggets dude too. the chicken i can't believe i get excited over those chicken nuggets like that's all i want they need a milkshake though every time i go there i want a chocolate shake and they all they have a soda they have a cappuccino machine though yeah that's not, which is so portland the same hey welcome to our fast food burger joint we have a cappuccino machine yeah, really <laughs> there's a lot of things that are portland about that <laughs> i do appreciate their crushed ice yeah, yeah, they got the good crushed ice. Um, that was a good, that was a good thing about motorcycles we just did there. Um, are we are we done with the tire? I'm I'm so angry. I get so fired I, up about this bike. <laughs> I mean, obviously, like fair play, like like we've had asphalt rubbers had some tension with Yamaha Motor USA. Kind of tried to bury the hatchet at, at AMX. We're trying to help you here, man. Trying, you know, we we had some conversations. I don't think I'm going to a press launch anytime <laughs> soon. But you know, I'm not like one to hold a grudge. But it is one of those things where it's just like. Like, guys, like, help me help you. You're doing something fucking stupid. And I said it on Twitter. I said the coverage on the Yamaha Tenere 700 was a journalistic litmus test for the U.S. media uh, motorcycle media. <laughs> because if you sit here and be like, oh, yeah, and it's just around the corner. Fuck you. Fuck you. You're not. You, Yamaha deserves so much shit over this nonsense. And it's not just an American thing. It's a European thing, too. So don't give me that, like, production in Japan. I'm getting yeah. fired up again. Uh, uh, listen, fired up. you know, how many times are you going to promise me a steak and not deliver? I'm going to go buy a fucking you know what it is? fried chicken sandwich. It's fucking Lucy with the football and Charlie Brown. <laughs> we're Charlie Brown and we're going to go run and kick it. And she just yanks it away every uh -huh. time. Yep. And we're we land flat on our ass on a KTM. Thanks. Yeah, I'm going to have exactly that. That's why I'm going to have a KTM in my garage and not a Yamaha because this stupid thing. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to talk about the KTM? I feel like we just did. I think I think we should. I think that's a good segue to the KTM because uh, everybody that I know of in the adventuring world is just frothing at the mouth for this bike. This is the ugliest fucking motorcycle. KTM's are not generally known for their good looks. I mean, I but think. that's like the thing. Like, like even for a KTM, I feel like this is the ugliest bike <laughs> I have seen. <laughs> the R. I actually do like the R. There's something about the headlight though that's got this weird kind of praying mantis thing to me. That's KTM not quite is one right. of the few manufacturers that makes motorcycles that that makes me say things like, "Well, when you're riding it, you don't have to look at it." Yeah, that's fair. I remember when the spy photos of this came out, and I, I I'm pretty sure the article kind of slagged on how ugly the the bike was, and, the, <laughs> and I got a, I got a an email or a message from from one of the design members, and he's like, "Well." You know, it's just the the test mule and it doesn't have all the graphics and all that stuff. You know, wait until you see it. I'm like, yeah, you're right. 
you have to see it until you have to see it in the flesh and wait for the graphics. Like graphics really do make a difference. I think sometimes. it looks good on a side profile picture. It's kind of a tough looking bike. The R looks the R is passable. Like if the R is in my garage, I'd be like, that's still a really ugly yeah. bike. But what adventure bike isn't? But it's got the spoke wheels. The base I mean, that's model tough. one though just looks really weird. Eh, I know. It's, There's just like this huge gap between the headlight and the fender. <laughs> I, I almost I, I almost regret saying this. It looks like the headlight should be like three inches lower. Or it should have that stupid Super Duke GT headlight where it's got oh, like yeah. that spy versus spy right, nose. Right. <laughs> I feel like that would actually improve it's, the I looks think, of it. I will say this. KTM uh, makes bikes that are very polarizing in design, and that's not a bad thing. I like that. But you know what makes up for it? This bike's going to be rad off Oh, dude. This bike's it weighs be, nothing. It weighs nothing. It makes good power. I've got a KTM 790 Duke in my garage right now. Bike's rad. Bike's super Are the rad. motors pretty much the same? Is there just different uh, uh, mid-range on them? There is about a 10 horsepower difference so i think they've changed the timing and the valves might be a little okay. different to make um less power more torque wider in a, in a wider torque curve hmm. um, Th- this is the say. bike that i want ducati to make yes like a yes. awesome badass middleweight don't just put spoke but, uh, wheels on a multi-strata 950 and call it totally an adventure it bike i think the 12 um well what's now the 1260 enduro right. you have a 1200 enduro I think it's one of the best ADV bikes on the market. Absolutely. I think, I, I think it goes toe-to-toe with an R1200, uh, excuse me, GS, uh, KTM 1290 Adventure S. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have a 21-inch 21 21 inch front wheel, so it's not going to do Africa Twin Adventure R nonsense. But for a 19-inch wheel bike, I think that's the one to buy. And Ducati totally fucked it up. There's no marketing. There was no push. No. There was no, no authenticity. You didn't put it in any rallies. You didn't go out to any adventure touring things. You just were like, here's our super expensive ADV bike that most people are going to think is going to tip over and break. You've done nothing to... I've been yelling about this for, for yeah. as long as that bike yeah. came out. I mean, when you went to the Touratech rally, yeah. you know who was there? BMW. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, alright, all the old BMW geezers with their farkles are there, but not a single Ducati guy. So I think this coming year, if I'm going to try and make an appearance there, such a such a missed opportunity. The, the shaw of brap will be there. Bike. Fear not. And that's why I say, like, if Ducati made it, they would just fuck it all up. Whereas KTM, I mean, they got the cred, man. You know, the bike looks rad. I, I think it would do all the things. Um, I've been quietly thinking, like, this is a bike I would put in my stable. I uh, I'm right there with you. You know, honestly, um, it could do it could do a lot of things for me. I, I would love. Um, I was going to say like putting like a set of 17s on it, but I don't know if I need to get into it, but like there's, there's a lot of cool things. I really like this motor. Uh, I really like this chassis. I really like what they're doing. The pricing I think is going to be really strong. Yeah. So the pricing, the price for capability and the price for features is I think a really strong proposition. You got that big 21 inch front, um, mm-hmm. 18 inch rear, rear tire. So it's going to be able to go do the things. 5.3 gallons of fuel. On that's, a on that's a gonna be 800 amazing. cc motor, that's going to be amazing. So what, what were they saying, like range wise? There was something I was reading. Oh, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna get it all. I wrong would bet with, minimum 200 miles. I was gonna say like kilometers. I think the kilometers was like 500. So what's that convert to? No, it can't be that many. I think it was like 280 miles. Uh, it's a stupid amount. It's a stupid amount. 500 kilometers. I mean, we're that talking like right. 300 300 be, plus be, miles. Yeah, that'd be too much. Wow, that'd that be, that can't be right. I have an I have an almost eight gallon fuel tank. Granted, I have a twelve hundred cc motor, but I'm getting up. If I'm if I'm really careful, I'll get about 300, 310 miles. Let me let me go on to the completely useless KTM website and see if I can <laughs> get that answer for you. Um, I love that I can't even get pricing. They won't even show me the price on the website. Have you ridden your 
Duke much? I have. Have you figured out what your average gas mileage is on that? Not great, but it's also like a three gallon tank. Yeah, yeah but I mean, it's like 120 it, miles. It, it's it's so that's pretty impressive on a three gallon tank. Yeah, I, I'm trying to remember what the. I think it's quoting like 48 miles to the gallon. But dude, if you're doing 48 miles bad. to the gallon, you gotta you've got a five gallon tank. The 290 got like 38 miles to the gallon. I was a little disappointed in that. The big bikes like to drink. If the, I ride my Multistrada the way I want to ride my Multistrada, I average 32 miles Well, that's the thing. The big bikes like to drink, and, and the big bike makes you want to do stupid things. 400 kilometers on fuel. So I was off by like a digit. Yeah, so it's about 240 miles. That's I mean, that's 400 km in miles. Spell miles right. 250 miles. Yeah. Yeah. That's not bad. That's pretty damn impressive. And that's without like roto packs or a bigger that's tank i mean the, to me it's funny the the, the worst case scenario is you know you're stuck in the middle of baja which i did last year and there is about a 220 ish mile stretch where there is nothing there's fuck all there's a guy selling dirty gasoline out of a 55 gallon drum that's rusty and he'll charge you six dollars a gallon and you will happily pay him but if you have that kind of range you don't have to worry about it yeah um you know what adv bike that really caught me off guard what's that the Honda CB125 X concept. That that bike is, I think, going to do extremely well in the European market, in the in, and in the Asian market. I don't know if the US, not the 125. Someone was telling me the 300 cc motor is a direct bolt in. Ooh, I feel like, excuse me, I feel like the the CB125 X and CB125 M two two bikes are like one of my favorites from right, the show. Right. But I feel like those are teaser for bigger bikes because I don't see those working as a 125, especially because they come from Honda Europe, Honda Europe's R&D department. Right. So someone's like, oh, well, Southeast Asia. I'm like, Honda Europe don't give a fuck about Southeast Asia. You know, Southeast Asia. They're looking at their market. So I feel like they're not necessarily planning those as 125s, but maybe as a 300, maybe as a 500. Yeah, yeah. And the, the X model, which is the adventure bike, that design that's beautiful you put the 500 motor in there Mm -hmm. well i don't really like the 500 motor that much but you put that design on a capable middleweight you've got something like if you want to talk about uh yamaha tenere 700 killer that would be it right there (laughs) yeah you know that thing looks rad you pulling it up on your phone i am yeah look at this thing look at that oh that is just that is fucking sexy that's super cool Um, i love that flat seat the flat C, it's got a great little tail. They got the slash cut exhaust. And then the, uh, the, and then Euro the, fives comes the, in and throws a M, big old, the M look like, like that. I would rock that at the, the Mac track. Oh, the Mac track. Absolutely. Right. With 17s on it. So you can put real rubber. M- my newfound love for small motorcycles, uh, as you were a witness to that, that, that would be in my garage. Yeah. I, I think they, I think they're really onto something. I don't know quite where it goes. I don't think the 125 CC thing works. But the design, the idea, there's something there. Question, have you seen the actual dimensions of that bike? Um, I mean, they're based off the the 125 and the 300 are the same bike with a different size motor. Okay. So, so I, we're not talking th- Grom size here. No, 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 no. We're talking, like, so if the Grom is like three quarters size, right. this is like seven eighths size. It's mostly full size then. Mostly full size. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's what I consider that little uh, Husky 390 that, or 410, excuse me. Uh, 401. The 401, yeah. the, the Vitpolin 401. that I was riding. That was yeah. like a 7 eighths bike. Yeah, it'd be about that size. Similar, similar class. Yep. You know, it's a 390. Um, 
If you ever want to see something hilarious, oh there's gosh. a picture of Jensen chasing me on the Honda. Is it the CB1000R? On the CB1000R. And yeah. I'm on the little bit pulling 401. And I look, I, I look like, I look like a, King Kong. I didn't know you were tricycle. on a motorcycle. I, you couldn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> I've never giggled so hard for so long. 20 minutes of just straight up laughter. Yeah, I don't think, uh, I don't think you were doing what that bike was designed to do. <laughs> KTM, good job. The bike withstood my heavy ass going full throttle. It read 108 miles an hour in that tiny little speedometer at one point. Yeah. I was so impressed. <laughs> I really wanted to come up behind I think you I was, and push you. <laughs> I was going to say, I think you were behind me pushing me with your foot on my foot peg. <laughs> um, yeah, those bikes, that is not what that bike, they don't do great on the track. Those valves go places. They're not designed to do. I may have over it every um, but, 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 but what else do I have in my notes here? You know what caught me really surprised? Surprise. And it was maybe one of my like this catches me this catches me on surprise by surprise on so many levels. What is it? The Royal Enfield KX concept. Yes. Did you see this thing? Uh-huh. Um, I mean, one, it's a cruiser. Like I'm getting excited it's about a cruiser. So cool though. So I feel weird. Two, I'm getting excited about a Royal Enfield, which is a brand that I just <laughs> completely don't care about. Um it's just so cool looking. That, Everything this about is the it definition is really cool of a looking. cool looking motorcycle. I would totally rock it. I'm not a cruiser guy. I doubt this has any performance whatsoever. It's a Royal Enfield. But it, if not it turns Royal, on, that's considered performance. Yeah, if it doesn't have a little puddle of oil underneath it, you're <laughs> out of oil. Um, this bike is going to, if this bike was for sale in Portland right now, you'd see it at CC's. You'd see three of them parked out front right now at CC's coffee shop. I would seriously consider buying it. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know what pricing would end up being, but like they did a really cool job. And they're doing like this. What is it? Both wheels are, are both wheels 19s or both wheels 21? Both wheels are 19s. Uh -huh. So it's like proper like flat track size. I mean, they have uh, Maxxis DTR flat track rubber on oh, it. Okay. Um, so it's kind of like got the street tracker thing. It's kind of got a cruiser thing. Kind of has a bobber thing going on. It's a soft tail. It looks like a three quarter oh, here victory. Comes, here comes Kota oh, Kitty. I got Kota Kitty. Oh, geez. This is, this is, this is a moment. Like I'm excited and scared. Yeah, just just let it happen. This is an apex predator happen. on my lap right now. She's just like the queen of the jungle. You're in her domain. You're actually in her spot. I am. <laughs> She's making herself comfortable. If I barely it, feel any claws right if now. If it fits, it sits. Oh, sniffing, sniffing out the chili and the tea. A lot of dogs on my. On? Um. Yeah, this bike's rad. They they need to build. They need to build this bike. It actually feels like looking at it like. It could be pretty close to a production spec. Yeah. It feels like it could be something that's real. Um, it got me excited. It put it totally put Royal Enfield on my map, um, which I feel is a very difficult thing to do. So kudos to them. Contrast that with Kimco's bullshit electric thing that I don't want to give more than like a second to, it's, it's, which I think is not ever going to see the light of day and is totally just put out there so people I think it was like a Kimco. publicity stunt it is 100% a publicity stunt but here mind. you are talking about it so job job well no, done I'm done. I'm done I'm done <laughs> but like this just until I see it I mean, running they're good enough that BMW uses them when I yeah they they, they do a lot more than people think yeah. um, they're gonna be a player in 20 years but this for me feels total vaporware and then they got like the whole thing where they're gonna like no oh, I don't even want to talk about it just done that Royal Enfield, though. Whew, that Royal Enfield is... Do you see how they do the swing arm linkage? I never thought in my 39 years on this earth that I would use the words Royal Enfield and sexy in the same sentence. And that thing's a sexy bike. But, I mean, would you kick it out of bed? This, no. Exactly. Not, this would not get kicked out of the garage. It would not spend a day in the rain. Um, Very, very good job. 
I don't know about the headlight being a part of the girder front end. I feel like that's going to be a disaster down a pothole road, but <laughs> the rest of it seems pretty pretty well thought out. Um, so it's pretty it's pretty cool to see. Um, Shaheem, what do you want to talk about next? Can we talk about Aprilia? Yeah, what's uh? They're kind of um. Here's what I'm thinking: the Italians have figured out how to bring sexy back all together. And and sexy also means bringing bikes out that other people want to ride. That middleweight sport bike that they're coming out yes, with. Yes, that's what I want to get to. Holy moly, that that is a good looking bike, and it it's super intriguing. The the motor is super intriguing to me. The style of it is super intriguing to me. I feel like it'll be priced really well. Yeah, if I can if I can just humble brag for for just a second, Hit that me. is a story that we broke on Asphalt and Rubber about a month ago. They've been working on this bike for a few years now. Um, it is literally an RSV4 power plant with the rear cylinder bank lopped off to make a parallel twin. They're going to, I think they're going to bore it out. So it gets to 660, but I haven't really heard exactly how they're um, getting it to that number, if that number is even meaningful. Right. The thing to understand with this concept is it's two concepts in one. So one, they're teasing this RS660 bike. They'll definitely make a middleweight sport bike out of it. There'll probably be a fully fared version. There'll probably be a naked version. There'll probably be like a sport touring, adventure touring, you know, upright. So it'll be a version. multi-platform. It has to be a platform bike. You can't make a bike these days um, and have only that engine work for that bike. It has to be a platform. Of course. It just doesn't make economical sense anymore. So, um, so basically that's them teasing the fact that they're going to have a new middleweight lineup, which means that I think we can pretty confidently say that the 900cc V-twin lineup, the Shiver and the Doors yep, of Duro, yep. those will go away. And I'm those, okay with that. When they were 750s, were not good bikes. Nope. They're okay good bikes in the 900cc format. Like It definitely fixed a lot of the issues. I actually ended up liking the Shiver more than the Doors of Duro, which surprised hmm. me. Um, but like even then, I'm still giving them kind of like a B plus. Okay. You know, like their big thing was that they were cheap. They were some of the first bikes to use ride by wire, though, which is really interesting. Um, and that actually dovetails really well into the other side of what this concept is, which is Aprilia teasing their active aerodynamics package. Yes. yes. Which is rad. Which is what a cool thing to, to put out on this bike. Right. I don't know. I still haven't really heard anyone explain to me what on this bike is active arrows, which I think makes the me Italians think that's trying to figure it out themselves. Yeah, I don't think they actually, <laughs> I don't think anything actually is. So there's a little bit of like, uh, you're fudging the numbers there. I just see a bunch of people sitting around a table with a glass of wine in their hands, swirling the wine and going, so the active suspension need to work. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Romano's just in his, his like back cave somewhere, just like putting stuff together. <laughs> and like someone like peeked over their shoulder and saw like the word active aerodynamics. Like, oh, yes, he's working on it. Do you think there's going to be an Aprilia thing or are they borrowing this from a different no. company? No. So this is what people don't understand about Aprilia. They do a lot of stuff in house. They were the first motorcycle brand to bring IMUs to, to a no production kidding. bike. And, and they basically used their own. They weren't using Bosch. They weren't using Continental. They built their own. And Yamaha is one of the other brands that does that builds their own or uses their own dedicated partner. Envy Augusta is another one that has a dedicated partner. Although their IMU might be Bosch, but their ECU is, um, shoot, I'm blanking on the company. But it's a company that only they work with. Oh, okay. Um, whereas a lot of brands will have like a Mitsubishi, a Magneti Morelli, um, the Continental. Continental is not really ECU, but that's a whole other thing. Um, oh, it's going to bother me what MV is. 
uh oh i bet i can look it up they they, they do actually advertise it on their tech sheet but my understanding is this concept was them showing off the uh the idea of active aerodynamics not that that would necessarily go on the rs660 or a middleweight it right. more likely go on the rs4 but it was just them being like hey this is something that we're talking about this is something that we're considering um obviously like i feel like Eichma was the year of the winglet. So many bikes had winglets. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I almost feel like bad for BMW because they didn't have any winglets on their bike. Well, BMW did a good job recycling the Desmos DTRs design. <laughs> it does. I just, and the I, just, I just wanted to put that out there to hear and the, like, and the, clap and the back headlight, from it is kind of it is kind of there. I, I generally loathe it when people say like they see like certain elements in certain bikes. Right. They're like, oh, you mean it has a seat, two wheels, and a handlebar? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is that what you meant there's by only, there's it, only so uh, many looks the finite amount of designs, right? <laughs> but um that one I will kind of like, oh, it does kind of the intake's a little different. I mean, yeah. it's not a little, it's a lot different. But it does have that squinty headlight kind of look. Um, it's got the squinty headlights, and if you look at the wheels, it's got that same sort of uh, wheel design almost. Yeah, Eldor is the uh, MV Augusta uh, partner. Um, I believe they're pretty big in the automotive space, uh, four-wheeled space, I should say. Um, so... One little thing I wanted to mention yes. on the Aprilia uh, 660, RS660 design. I hope this is something they will do in all their motorcycles. Aprilia has always had the entire name of the company plastered on the side of their motorcycles. <laughs> And if you look at the RS660, it just has a lowercase a, very smartly put on one of, I imagine this is part of the active uh, uh, aerodynamics, but it looks really good. It's a, it's it a beautiful design. It's neat and small. Less is more in this case. I think it looks beautiful. Uh, and nowhere is there a hashtag bear racer. Bear racer. <laughs> so winning right there. I, I think it looks good. I think the concept looks really strong. I think um, Miguel Galuzzi and his team did a really good job with that. I think this bike is going to rip. I think there's totally a space for Aprilia in the in the super sport segment. I don't know what pricing is going to be. I don't know if they're going to try and go high end or, or low end on I'm it. I'm hoping this bike pushes the other brands, <clears throat> Ducati, to build a proper middleweight motorcycle. You know what? I had that conversation with Claudio Domenicali when the um, the V4 was first announced. And I actually remember sitting. We were in Carmel. Um, it was Laguna Seca. Rest in peace, Laguna Seca for World Superbike, by the way, not coming there I'm, for 2019. If I had a hat on, I'd have taken it off right then. Yeah. Um, but we were talking about it, and I was like, okay, so like, what are the chances that we'll see a 600cc right. V4? And he was like, zero. Because the bike would cost for them as much as the Panigale V4 does. Yeah. So it's going to be, I don't know what their... I don't know what their cost of goods sold is on a, on a Panigale. I don't even know what... Um, dealer cost is. I would wager on a twenty thousand dollar bike. Dealers probably buying them at seventeen five, ish. You're not far. I think it's a little more than that. But the 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 margin's not as as big as a lot of people want to believe it is. Yeah. So what's the margin for the OEM? Another two grand, maybe. So maybe they're maybe they're selling maybe, it at fifteen. Maybe. You know? Uh Or sorry, maybe it cost them fifteen. So. Yeah, I mean that'd be tough. It'd be you, you know. Can you imagine like a twenty thousand dollar six hundred cc bike? It wouldn't make a ton of sense. I mean, if it weighed three hundred pounds wet, right? I think you could totally pitch it as like this isn't a six hundred cc super sport. This is a six hundred cc super bike. Super bike, yeah. And and instead of you know having two hundred plus horsepower where you make up your lap time on the throttle, this is a lightweight scalpel, you know, flickable bike that's going to be 
kind of reminiscent of what the 250 GP bikes were like, where it's yeah. light and nimble, and you're making your time on the corner speed and, and doing all things. I think there's an opportunity there. I think there uh, is mean, too. I, I don't know if I don't know if those are true sellers anymore. I feel like if you look at the market now, sport bikes are not the thing that that are no, carrying companies anymore. They're not. Know? They're definitely not. And you know, another thing that happened while well, we've we've had our little hiatus, I ended up buying a Kramer. <laughs> um, which I feel like we should dedicate a whole show to. I, absolutely. But um, I mean, I'm full on. Like, I, I mean, I just put my money where my mouth is. I spent, you know, it's um, 15, 16. I bought the S model, about their demo that's been on but here. That's a dedicated track bike. Like, where track are you going to find a, a dedicated track bike for that track price? Bike. That doesn't exist. If you buy an R, R6. So that's the thing. But that's a sale that Ducati lost. Because yeah. that could have been a Ducati sale. Do you, how bad would I love to have a V4 600 that weighed like 300 pounds? Yeah, but I think the point I'm trying to make is that, you know, I mean, I've worked at a Ducati dealership and other brands as well. The The number of people that go and do track days are far fewer than people that just buy bikes to ride on a daily basis. Getting somebody to just put on all their gear on is like pulling teeth, man. And tell BMW with the HP4 race. Yep. I literally just got a call yesterday again from the dealer up in Washington that huh. somehow got their number my number from BMW USA because I demoed the bike at Laguna as a press event. I mean, it's just stupid that I'm being called. It's just stupid. I feel so bad when they call me. I'm just like, your press, your your sales lead list sucks if you're calling me. The, that but they bike, still have it. That and bike they, was, uh, see, that's the problem. When, it, when, a, when a manufacturer decides to just build a dedicated race bike like that, they, they can't afford to sell it for $80,000 because comes along a manufacturer like Ducati and says, well, for, for 80 grand, I'm going to build you a bike that goes as fast and has lights on it. Right. And you can ride it every right. day if you want to. There's a rumor <clears throat> that BMW might put out a street legal kit for it. That's like headlights, mirrors. Are they just going to give signals. that to people? I mean, I think that's that's the idea of like, hey, we've got a lot. Because they've only, last I checked, they'd only sold about 15 of these bikes. Less I can't than 20, believe it was that many. Yeah. Less than 20 in the United States. I don't know what sales in Europe have been looking it's like. It's a but super I cool bike. I mean, when you stand next to this thing, you just like the bike is rad. It's unbelievably rad. It's but super I rad. Buy it it, is, that it is true to its name. It is a race bike. Yep. Um, I mean, I, I got five laps on it, which is it just it's not enough to evaluate the machine. The machine is rad. It does the thing, but like I couldn't tell you. I, I have experienced the thimble size of what that bike can do. <laughs> Um, which just shakes. I mean, like BMW, if you want to know why you're not selling any of these bikes, that might have something to do with it. Um, but yeah, it's part of me too. Like, like, okay, so I'm a sport bike guy. I'm a track bike guy. Do I really want a $75,000 bike that I might wad up? That you would ride potentially eight, maybe 10 times a year? Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, I do a lot of track days. Like, let's say, let's say I do 20 track days a year, right. which is insane balls. Still probably doesn't really that's justify still, it. That that's I would rather spend 18 grand in a Kramer for that. That's more than that's four thousand bucks a pop. That's, it is, man. It's unbelievably expensive. Now go back to your Kramer, and you spent. You didn't buy the most expensive one, but still, the most expensive one's what eighteen, nineteen grand. Uh, twenty one, I believe. Is it really okay? So even at twenty one thousand dollars, I could see that being a long term track bike for me, because even if you threw it down, I've I've seen this machine enough times. They crash pretty well. They crash really well. They're they're. It made me think of my 999. It's one of the best crashing bikes out there. If you're if you're going to learn how to do track days, you're going to go down a couple of times and you want a motorcycle that's not going to cost you an arm that, and a leg. That's because when it came out of the factory, it looked like it already crashed. <laughs> that's a, my that's, bike is way prettier without the lights on it. To be fair, I like the looks of the 999. I'm, I'm just hating. Terrible launch, I think, was ahead of his time. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I totally interrupted you and, and, and took your flow. Oh, so anyways, the, the point is, if you're going to buy a track bike, 
$80,000, unless you've, frankly, if you're buying an $80,000 track bike, you've got a lot of other cool stuff yeah, in your garage, probably. You're just fuck off rich. Yeah, you're, you're fuck off rich. Uh, but you're going to look at that bike and then realize that you can go to the local Ducati dealership and if there's mm-hmm. a Super Legera left, you can pick up one of those things for the same price and have a bike that you can ride on the streets as well and show off to your local, you know, coffee shop buddies, which frankly is what most of them do, but whatever. I don't know how they're going to sell them. I don't know how they're going to sell leftover because I'm, I'm scrolling through the S1000RR photos right now. I'm like, I would totally buy this bike. They're, they're probably going to be a point where the dealerships are going to get some kind of money back from the factory oh. and just have insane discounts on it. I'm pretty sure. I, I'm almost tempted to call the, them back and just be like, what's your price? Because I bet, because that bike was 75 new. If they were smart, they would say, what is your price? Yeah, but I bet I've heard pricing in the 60s from some dealers already, and I'm curious if it gets down to the 50s. I would give it another six months. I guarantee you that bike will still be there six months from now. Oh, yeah. I I mean, truthfully, at that point, BMW Motorrad Germany should buy them back Uh and then just be like, some lights on them. (laughs) Yeah. No, 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 not even do it. Just buy them back and do whatever you need to do. Put them in some sort of race program. Do something neat with them, right? Some sort of customer program. Yeah. But and just say like, oh yeah, we we were gonna only build three hundred, but we only sold two hundred, so now it's even more rare than right. than you thought it was. Maybe so ten that years thing from is, now, you'll see one at, at Barber Motor yeah, Museum. Yeah, now and, it's even more collectible and rare, and that's a gift that we gave to the people who are willing to buy into the brand. But I would be pissed if I bought one of those. Like if I was one of the poor suckers that put seventy five thousand down, <laughs> like right when it came out to 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 get the one, and you know paid full freight on it. I mean, you're probably out the door eighty Gs at least easily. And then taxes. And yeah, I was going to say, like, we live in a tax shelter of a right. state, so you know we're we're way better off. But but there's no. I was going to say, I don't think the BMW dealer here in Oregon has one, so maybe not. No, they were probably smart enough, and they mm, they, they saw the one. writing and said, "Nah, that's not going to sell." So we're going to um, sell a bunch of R's and F's. Yeah, I would be pissed if I bought if I spent eighty thousand bucks and someone's getting it for sixty now. Here's the problem: I'd be you, you can wait another couple of months and go buy a V4R. Yeah, drink. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, and that's going to cost forty grand. So almost half the asking price half, of the you can buy two of them. So you, you can buy, buy two, two of them. them. You can you can buy one and just huck it down the the track, mess up turn one with your cold tires, and then get on the other one and go. Okay, I, I learned my lesson. All's all's well, and you'll have winglets. Winglets, Jensen. Winglets. The future of the winglets. That bike looks rad. Uh, I, another like I'm, I'm gonna kill someone if I don't go to this press launch. I would probably kill someone for you if you didn't go to that press launch. But like, I would probably, I would probably flip my shit. Um, I'm super excited by this, by this Ducati. I think, I think what I want to pitch to them is my idea of me riding it versus you. In what way? Well, average guy super bike. I mean, come on. Average Most people that bike. buy these bikes are are beer gutted average dudes. They just <laughs> have such money. A great YouTube channel. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think we're gonna start this. I think it's, it's gonna be a brilliant plan. Average guy, super bikes. All these bikes are so much better than all of us. Shaheen, you're giving away the game. <laughs> I'm giving him a taste. Um, Can you smell that 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 uh, steak? Two hundred and thirty-one American horsepower. When you put that a crop of exhaust, and then I was reading. Um, we still have to wait to see what World Superbike is going to do. Typically, you can do about a three percent RPM increase over production for World Superbike. Which would mean a seventeen thousand RPM limit on a, on a liter bike. On a liter bike, that's <laughs> that's that's high by like six hundred cc standards. <laughs> that's, that's just 
And those aren't like old school. You know, remember when the R6 first came, got redesigned and came out and they were like, this thing redlines the 17,500, just kidding, 16,500 RPM. This is like real RPMs Ducati's talking about here. It's, it's. I mean, it does rev 500 RPMs higher in sixth gear than it does the rest of the gears, but that shit's real, man. That I am, I can't tell you how excited I'm about that bike. And, Here's the and thing. frankly, if you have forty thousand dollars to buy one of those, and you're going to put that full six thousand oh dollar exhaust on there, it's buy gonna, another exhaust gonna, just to hang up on your wall because that thing's so fucking pretty. I think it looks great. People were talking talking smack on on the site, and I think you're crazy. I feel like you've you've lost your soul. You're just a shell of a human being roaming <laughs> this earth, sucking the life out of other people because that thing's hot. It's it's beautiful. It's it's motorcycling and Here's, what it's all about. Here's the thing though, right? I think one of my biggest resistance resistances resistance I resistances is resistances is that's that's hurting my brain. That's that's a lot of a lot of consonants. Um I think my biggest pushback to the Panigale V4 when it came out was that it looked too much like a Panigale. The V twin Panigale. Yeah. I think if this had been the design, if it had the gills on the fairing uh-huh. and it had the winglets. Uh-huh. And maybe you two-tone the tank or whatever it was. And this was what the base model also looked like. I think I would have liked the Panigale V4 way more. And you loved the V4 when it came. I, I remember I mean, when you rode it. awesome to ride. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Awesome I remember you ride. came back from Valencia and you said the only issue you had with that bike was a kickstand. The only, which yeah. coming from you was crazy. Which I mean, that was literally that. We we struggled. We... we um, what was it? Uh, I think it was Rennie and Wahid and myself. And maybe someone else. I'm trying to remember. We were all sitting around trying to like come up with like our likes and our dislikes. And we're just like, ah, I can't buy one. Like I'm not rich enough. <laughs> it's expensive. It's, it is expensive. It's 27 G's for uh-huh. the S model, which is one you're going to See, I like that Woof. you know that, well, know that off the top of your head is weird. Ugh. You must have worked at a Ducati dealership. I might have, allegedly. Um, But like there's, yeah, I mean, the kickstand literally was like the biggest issue. And the fact that I have photos of me on the bike turn nine at PIR and photos of me on the V twin model at turn nine PR, like exact same spot in the turn. You thought one was the other. And it's really hard. Like I have to really <laughs> like, like, which one is that? Which one is that again? Oh, that's the V four. Okay. Yeah, Cause the headlight. Okay. Yeah. If it looked like this with the winglets and oh. the gills and the tank, we said that, you, you know, uh, uh, yeah. Mr. Brian Catterson and I were having a conversation about this and it was formerly of motorcyclist magazine, formerly of motorcyclist and cycle world. Yeah. Um, as he puts it, the number one at the number two dealer uh, magazine and number one at the <laughs> number, number two at the number one ma- magazine. Um, they, they should have come out with something wicked and I guess they finally have done that. This, yeah, this is how I feel like this level of wickedness on the R is what I feel like the base and the S needed. It's just so naughty. And then the R just needed like lasers. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how you take it to I just 11. Some freaking lasers on my R bike. But I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm super stoked to ride this bike. I'm, I've never ridden a bike with winglets. So I'm curious now, to see what I that's about. I saw something about. online that kind of made me scratch my head. And I, I, I bet you would know the answer to this and you'll debunk it otherwise. I'll try. Do you think it'll have a dry clutch? I think a dry clutch is in the Ducati performance catalog. There is a thing in the World Superbike rules about how you have to use the clutch on the production model. Um, but I bet there's enough like asterisks. Man, I'm, I'm not doing well with my plurals today. <laughs> um, I bet there's an the asterisk or enough loopholes and workarounds where it's like, oh, well, we made it dry by just putting our finger here <laughs> and then we put the clutch thing, the clutch I pack saw a in. picture of the clutch cover and it looked like it had, there is, you there know, is, what, like the old dry clutches yes. had, which was that extra kind of layer there. Yes. 
so the the bike that Chaz Davies is on right this very second at uh, I think he's at Valencia actually, oh. um, which was where we did the press launch for the V4. Um, he his bike has a dry clutch on it. No, uh, mm. there's there's no there's no doubt it has a dry clutch. We've seen it. It looks rad. It looks bitching. I don't know how that's race legal, huh. um, and I would bet really good money. I would bet a good case of Mountain Dew, a fine vintage of Mountain Dew, that the dry clutch is a Dugati performance part. And I think that's how they get around it in the rules because it's a race part. Yeah, and it's coming that's straight available from the to the public that comes from the factory. Right. I think that's how I think that's how they get it homologated. So I can see everybody buying one of those doing that because it's probably yes. just going to be a track bike for most people. Oh my god! Well, I mean. <laughs> no words it's interesting no having words. moved from the southeast part of this country to the northwest part of this country how everybody treats their bikes differently down down in the florida area uh and the listeners can prove me wrong but all the v not, i'm sorry all the expensive r and s model ducatis that i saw were never on a track they were always just kind of going on a straight line in a flat florida road and they look cool, but these people would have spent money on stuff like everything, including a dry clutch, uh, uh, you know, option for their V4R that's coming out. Here in the Northwest, everybody that we saw with an R model Ducati always took it to the track. That's I'm so impressed with that. Every time I go to a track day and I see a forty thousand dollar R bike just getting thrown around like it's someone's just little I, bitch. I will say, I wonder if there is a. Uh I wonder if we get our blinders on because Motor Corsa, I think, is the largest track day provider in the Portland area. Don't quote me on that. I mean, they do a lot Might of be. track days. Yeah. They're definitely one of the oldest. At least in the dealership setting. Yeah. Well, I mean, just I think just in general, I don't think anyone else, at least at PIR, they weren't there any more days. Right. I, I, could be, I could be wrong on other tracks. I mean, it's kind of changing now. That's a whole other story. Um, but I think there's a little bit of like a, uh, a regional bias because i think i think portland is just kind of weird because you have the top selling ducati dealership in yeah. north america you have a track that's in our city limits and you have a dealer that's very active on doing track days mm -hmm. so i think it sets it up really easily to see like and especially if you only go to the moto course of track day yeah you're probably more likely to see ducatis i wonder if you go to um one of the other track day groups that's out here if as many ducatis show up there if you go up to say the ridge or uh, Pacific Raceway or down to Thunder Hill. Thunder Hill's a bit of a ways. I mean, I don't think you see as many. I think I think there's a Moto Corsa effect. You're probably right about that. It's. Uh, I mean, I think the reason I say that too is in in South Florida at least you have you know PBIR, Palm, PBR, Palm, like the beer. Palm, Palm, yeah, pretty much Palm Beach International Raceway. Huh. And there's a handful of Ducati dealerships within an hour of that place. And you'd hardly ever see them out there. You see a lot of R1s and Ducatis. But are they active and, and engaged with the track community? I think that's the difference. Yeah, and they they probably aren't because again, they know that they're they assume that their buyers are just going to buy this thing and go show it off somewhere. Uh, maybe they're changing a little bit now. I think I think dealerships like Motocorsa, when they're so active and so flamboyant about their activities, then other dealerships kind of pick up on it and go, maybe that's the answer. Maybe we have to do more. You know, it is insane to me that dealers, more dealers, don't do track days and aren't more involved with it. And I think and, they're afraid of it. They're and then it gets me even more in, incredulous that they're not using it like a sales opportunity. Like I, I, I know because I, I'm a control rider from Motocorsa, so I got a little bit of access on what their their plans and their their dealings are. And I know for the upcoming season, there is going to be more of a like 
you know, certain bikes are going to be on display and made available to ride. Certain apparel vendors will be there with, right. with demos and things right. like that. Like setting up the showroom outside of the showroom, making the, the track day experience also a sales experience or at least a marketing experience. I'm always surprised that that isn't a bigger part of it. I'm always surprised when I go down to Thunder Hill, which was a hometown track for me for a really long time, that there weren't, you know, like, like why isn't there a Yamaha truck or a KTM truck or a demo truck of some brand? Yeah. Why isn't Dainese or Alpine Stars there making people like, hey, you want to go out for a session in an airbag leathers and see what it's like? Right, right. Or a helmet brand or a glove brand. And, and having that be more of that experience because it really feels like it's just the... Yeah, we go out here and we ride the track, and maybe there's someone that sells like hard parts for crashing. Yeah. When I was back east, that was like the thing. There was like one guy who'd show up with a, a trailer and he had, you know, like handle, he had clip ons for basically every single bike yep. and rear sets for basically yep. every single bike. Tires and whatever. And then, yeah, and then he sold tires. Right. Actually, I think the tire guy was a separate guy. But, you know, I don't understand why that's not more of that ecosystem because, okay, yeah, it might only be like a couple hundred people that are there, but those are the buyer like those are obviously the people that are spending the coin like a track day weekend for most people is going to be $500 plus yep set easily. of tires plus the track time yep. and we haven't even gotten into fuel transportation lodging right time value of time all the tools that you need to bring the canopy the chair the cooler that first time that you spend money on a track day that that first setup time is really scary for a lot of people because i would watch them come into the dealership and look at a suit and go holy shit i have to spend Fifteen hundred to twenty five hundred dollars just on a suit, and to make them understand that this is a one time. Oh, the barrier to entry is so high. Absolutely, it's it's huge. But once you do it, at that point, then you start looking at things like, all right, I just need tires and fuel and maintenance on the bike, and you know, uh, uh, lodging and whatnot. Unless you're a hardcore van owner, and then you just sleep in that that thing. Um, but I think what we need to do, if I am lucky enough to do another one of these with you, is have a conversation on dealerships and what they're doing and how that's affecting oh yeah the industry altogether and that's and, a good one. and i think that goes into a huge segue into things like track days and adventure days etc cetera, etc cetera. so i think we need to jot that one down and have that be a conversation because i think that'll take up an hour plus yeah no i think that's i think that's a really good conversation because i think there's there's so much going on there and i think you know looking again down the pipe i think we're looking at fear dealerships down the line uh, I know I've talked to a couple of brands that are actively trying to get rid of dealerships. Mm -hmm. They're like, hey, we want to cull the herd. It's about having better dealerships, not more dealerships. I think we Ducati want, was want, one of the first brands that did that like a year or so ago. Yeah, I mean, well, Ducati's been culling dealerships, culling employees, culling models, culling sales, culling <laughs> revenue. I hear, they got to stop with the culling. They I got hear, really excited about I it. I hear rumors that we might have a different Ducati North America CEO soon. Um, so it's crazy times over there. But... um. It, you know, it was, it was funny listening to you talk about the letters. Like, it reminded me when I went to Phillip Island, I did a track day there. This is, I think I'd already been doing asphalt and rubber, but it was still like really early days. Right. So I just did it on my own time. It was, I went on my own vacation. Nearly was, nine years ago, Jensen. I was visiting friends from the UN uh, in Australia and New Zealand. And um, it was actually this time of year. It was right around October. Um, but I did a track day at PI at Phillip Island. And they have an awesome setup. So first of all, Phillip Island runs its own track days. But they have it set up really well for people that are coming from abroad because hmm. you can rent a bike no. and rent leathers and a helmet and all the gear. That's a world-class setup. Of the feet. And I think, I want to say like all in, I only rented the bike. I think I brought my leathers. And I think all in, I was like $600, which isn't bad. That's not bad for a track day? For like, where you get a, I got a Gixxer 600. Now, yeah. if you crash the Gixxer 600 like my buddy did, yep. Yep. <laughs> you're going to be paying a lot of money and they want it on the spot. Oh, I'm sure they do. 
that was a uh, talk about having access to credit. Um, but uh, I think that was his honeymoon too. Oh yeah. I just remember his wife was not, <laughs> Oh, she's a sweet lady, but I don't think, I think I, I was like one bad comment away from the Roth, but it's cool to see like that kind of setup where it's like, yeah, Hey, we got everything you need here. Um, what is it? Feel like a pro they're, they're a company, I think based in California and their whole stick is that you get a race prepped Kawasaki Ninja 250. You know, they set up the whole paddock. They got your cooler. They got your food. They got your your tire warmer. They got your tires. The bike's ready to go. I think they supply leathers and helmet too. Like you literally just show up. Show up. And it's a reasonable price. You know, for what it is, it's totally reasonable. And I feel like that's such a great um, service to have. Like I feel like, I mean, I always, I've, every time I've seen them at the track, I've seen them like with a, a few guys who are taking advantage of it. Um, I think that's really good. What's the pricing? Rentals three fifty a day, seventy five bucks for the insurance plan, seventy five bucks for the leathers. You want to get the insurance plan? Yeah, why not? Why wouldn't you? GoPro's <laughs> forty bucks a day. Warmers are forty bucks a day. I mean, like you, you go do the whole freaking thing, and like, yeah, seven hundred fifty bucks. That's, that's not bad. That's not bad at all, and you get so much out of it. For, for to see if you if to see if this is something you're into, just to test the water. Oh, yeah. Do that a couple times. Be like, oh hey, I do like this yeah. this track thing. I could see myself buying a bike and getting some leathers and doing the thing. I think doing a track day is probably one of the most important things a motorcyclist, not just a sport bike rider, but a motorcyclist in general can do because you're, you're in such a great environment that it's that, and you're sort of protected, you know? Yeah. And you get to, you get to kind of inch forward and push the limit little by little. And hopefully you've got great instructors around that can show you how to do that. I think that's so important. When I was a new rider, I've talked about this before on the show. Uh, I really cut my teeth doing track days back east with Nesba, hmm. which is now no longer. And now it's N2, the letter N as in Nancy. N as in Mancy? M as in Mancy. <laughs> Are we phrasing that's, here? That's how you get ants. <laughs> um, uh, N as in Nebula. Uh, great organization. Great, great group. If you're back east and, and you want to do a track day, go sign up with N2 track days. Tell them I sent you. They'll, they'll take good care of you. But one of the things that I loved about their program, and actually N2 is taking this to the next level, is the level of instruction and hands-on that they do with the lower riding classes. And that's one of the things I really like about Moto Course with their yeah, track Yeah, absolutely love that. Where the B group and C group get a lot of instruction. Mm-hmm. C group's like classroom instruction, which is it's rad. It's like mandatory. You got to show up. Yeah, you got to be there. And then B group, there's people like me circulating around trying to help people with lines and body position and things like that. Um, but I think that's so important. I think that's so important. Any track group that doesn't have that, you're missing your opportunity. 100%. Because... It really doesn't cost you anything. Usually it's just like, volu- I mean, I volunteer. I'm yeah. not getting paid for it. It's, um, it's those so of it's, us that want to see people, you know, succeed at riding motorcycles. And it keeps people in the sport and it keeps them safe yep. and it gets them hooked. I mean, you're just, we're just selling crack at the end of the day. We're selling two-wheel crack. That's it. So you're just giving them that little taste, that little extra taste that's going to make them, you know, become a lifelong user. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, feel a little, I felt a little dirty when I said that. I'm not going to lie. You did a weird little finger gesture there, too. <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking at, I'm going through the things that we haven't talked about <clears throat> really briefly, just because it's the drinking show. And if you're not drunk yet, we're going to get you there. Guess what bike got the most traffic on asphalt and rubber from ICMA? I think I have one guess and I'm going to say the Hyper Mozart. I, I'm surprised it didn't. Really? I, but wow, I'm, I'm shocked. more surprised because it was this guy. 
The Diavel? The, the Diavel 1260 the blew it up. No kidding. Barely eked out the Panigale V4. Turns out America still likes fat rear tired bikes. I don't understand it. Other than it looks good. I mean, I'm not like, I don't like the Diavel. I like it a lot more than the X Diavel, but it looks good. I, I will say this. I will, I've always said it since the Diavel came out. It is one of my favorite Ducatis, not because of the way it rides, because it's still kind of a, it's a little bit sloppy compared to the fine machines that Ducati makes. But it's like a, it's like a freshman year hand job. It's not <laughs> yeah, like a, it's not like a graduate school hand job like, that's been refined. Like you don't over hate time. it, it's but you don't look sloppy. for it either. You know, it's the reason I love the Diablo is this: it, it has a very, very cool polarizing look to it. And and at any time I've ridden one, non motorcyclists will even walk up to me and go, "What is that? That is that is really cool." So it's the cool factor in the Diablo's way up there, and and I've heard lots of smack talk against the bike, and I'm here to tell you, I've ridden one. They're unbelievably comfortable. They're unbelievably fast, and they have just boatloads of attitude. So I can see why that bike got a lot of uh, you know looks for it because it hasn't really necessarily changed that much since 2010. It's got the X Diablo motor. This is the thing I don't understand. Like it's really hard for me to distinguish between the two bikes now in terms of market positioning, right? Other than style and kind of ergonomics i truly thought that the diavel was going to be taken out period the x diavel no 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 the diavel oh yeah because the x diavel was like the the evolution right it was that next bike because you can still go out there to your dealership and buy mid-mounted controls for it so if you don't want that foot forward you know x going give it right. to your style you could sit on it like a regular diavel so i don't i'm i'm surprised that they came out with a standard diavel i have no words i don't know i don't understand what ducati is doing there I just know that I like the Diavel 1260 way more than I like the X Diavel. Yep. I don't think I would buy one. I'm not going to go out there with my hard-earned cash, my hard-earned blogging dollars, <laughs> and buy one. But if one showed up, I'd be like, yeah, okay. It's fun to ride. I would totally ride that. It's yeah. fun to ride. And, okay. and, and, that, and the X Diavel, obviously I haven't ridden the new 1260 Diavel, but the X Diavel that I have ridden, there is just so much power there. And it's almost silly to have around town because that bike just wants to rip your arms off. So being able to sit on it the way you sit on a Diavel and still have that power, and I think it's going to have quick shift on it. Yeah, no, they put all the cool oh, things. They put all the be, cool things on that it. That bike's going to be really cool. It almost it's it's almost like the teaser to the Street Fighter. We'll see we'll see a Street Fighter V4 next year. That's my I, understanding. I am saving myself my my virginity for that bike. It's um it's tough when you have a um predisposition let's just say <laughs> to, to naked motorcycles yep. like oh my, i'm like sitting there like oh i want a super duke i want a tuono and i want a brutale 1000 and i want a, a street fighter v4 and you're like all right you can't have five street fighters can't you though you're not you my daddy i can have whatever i want <laughs> okay i don't have that kind of room to be making those kind of choices i the ugh, i love i love naked bikes i've always loved naked bikes the idea that you can be somewhat comfortable and still be a total hooligan and a badass on any given corner that's just so cool to me, and well, and I know that the 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 speed triple is kind of eh, at this point compared to those other bikes. It's a roadster now, yeah. I still love that bike. It's a cool bike. Like again, another bike. If it showed up in my garage, I'm probably not gonna spend money on it. No, but if it showed up in my garage, I'd be totally fine with it. To segue though, this might have to end up in my garage. That the, that hyper Motar 950 is brought back the magic of the original bike just by simply doing a couple of little things. I don't love the exhaust. I like the the idea that they're doing. I just don't like the 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 execution. You, you the, and I the, both know the aftermarket exhaust the aftermarket is going to be single pipe. Awesome. Absolutely. I don't care I don't care if it's single pipe. I like the double pipe. I just don't like the 
gray sleeve around the skinny black tube <laughs> thing that they're doing. It just give me the old set of like the old style, right. the, the original, the Motard original, original shotgun yeah. thing oh, underneath. Yeah. That looked good. Um, I like the styling update. It looks a little bit more multi-strata-ish. They put all the electronic things on it that they should. The TFT dash, yep. the slide, the rear wheel slide on the brakes. Super um, cool. That's cool. That came right off the Panigale V4. The SP has got all the the right parts that you want on it. I'm trying to look to have the Stylema. Stylema. It's like the most weird name ever. Where's my... Oh, hey, Jensen. Asphalt rubber. Here we go. No, it's still the old. It's the old caliper. Um, but it looks good. The thing I want to know though is who's who's ride by wire controls it because it's it's still the old Magneti Morelli one. I would bet it's Bosch. I think that was the last my, bike on the lineup that had Magneti Morelli on it. My my boffins have been saying it's different. They just haven't told me which one it is. So different is good because that was the Achilles heel of the old bike, the nine three nine and yep. the eight twenty one. Was that throttle was just just vague and snatchy oh, yeah. and bad, and I don't understand why because on the on the monster it was fine and on the multi was fine and the so, so the multi and the the multi nine fifty and the uh, super sport which share that motor right both have Bosch on them and they're butter smooth yeah they're great so I'm I'm assuming they're probably just going to use that. I would a think variation so. of that system on that bike. And that's what they should have done with the 939 all along. And I don't understand why they didn't. But if that's I always the case, assume because they were going to do this, which is have a whole new refreshed bike. Yeah, I just, I mean, the 939, had, the problem is it goes back all the way to the 821. So mm-hmm. I don't understand why it wasn't fixed at the 939. I don't know why it wasn't fixed the second year of the 821. The only thing I can think of is like they got like a good deal on them. <laughs> you know, like Giuseppe came <laughs> in. A bunch he's of like, hey, in the box. you got to use it. 50% off. And they're like, all right, fine. <laughs> <laughs> we like you, just Abby. So the motor is still the same, though, right? I mean, basically. That's, so it's, I it's, think uh, I'd have to look at the compression ratio. I feel like the compression ratio is different. I mean, I'm not complaining here. That was a bitchin' motor. Your last no, bike fine. was a cool, fun fine. bike. It was fine. I loved that bike. I missed that bike. I sold it to a gentleman who I hope is enjoying it uh, immensely, like I did. Um. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever met anyone who's ridden a hyper motard. From the original iteration to now, who was like, meh. If you're not, I mean, it's one of those things like ridden, ridden hard, like ridden, ridden fun. I don't think there's anything better on the market. No. That bike's Achilles heel was when you're stuck in traffic and you're going like stop sign to stop right. sign. You're going that like, and I think this new version is going to take care of that. Bullshit, and it just, it just sucked. If you were doing half throttle, partial throttle, incremental throttle changes, maintenance <laughs> throttle, Any all throttle. the throttles <laughs> that weren't wide open, um, it had some issue with. Listen, it's called the hyper, not the not the m- little bit of throttle. Mundane, <laughs> right? The mundane, not the motard. mundane motard. <laughs> that would be funny. Um, I'm looking for the text back there. It is. Now that would require me thirteen three. I want to say the old one was thirteen six. Oh um, wow! But I could be wrong. Three nine SP compression. Come on, Google, don't fail me now. Thirteen one. It's actually more compression. Oh, wow. So interesting. Interesting there. That's probably how they're eking out more power out of it. Here's what I want to see from Ducati 2020. I want to see the V4 Street Fighter. I want to see a proper middleweight, badass Multistrada that can like go toe-to-toe with... That doesn't weigh as much as yeah. the 1260? Lose some weight. Lose all the extra luxurious shit and go go hardcore. Your luxurious shit should be on the 1260. 
There's a big price difference anyways. We're talking about a $15,000 bike versus a $24,000 bike. Well, and did you see what they're doing for 2019? They're getting rid of the base model for the US. Yep. So there's only the S. Just the S. The S is priced really well. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't understand. I I don't understand Ducati's whole plan from the Hyper Motard through the Multistrada line. It, and it doesn't, I don't understand the positioning I'll, per se. I'll tell you this I really much. don't understand like the marketing and like their, their dealer actions and their events and all that. Well, that, I mean, join the club. Every dealer in the country says the same thing you just said. But yeah. I, I think uh, historically speaking, multi-strata sales um, have always been sort of reliant on the S model. The non-S model multi-strata is Bupkis. And dealerships always get stuck with one. So if you really want to save some money, go to a dealership and ask them for their non-S model Multistrada. They will give it to you. And so on the 950, it makes sense that they got rid of the you know non-S model for the US because what's the difference? It's basically the spoke wheel versus non. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And those spoke wheels, I mean, if you bought a non-S model and wanted to buy those spoke wheels, they're like $2,200 out of the Ducati Performance catalog. Oh, they're stupid. So you're only spending 500 extra bucks on the S model and, and you're getting so it. so heavy. They're, I know I've got them. On my bike, they make good amount of sense. And they're tough as nails, Jensen. I mean, I've hit some crazy rocks with these things. Not a, not a scratch on them. It's unbelievable. I, uh, a friend of ours was in recently at the shop getting tires swapped. And I picked it up. And I was like, holy crap. That's like a 50-pound wheel. It's, it's By the time you put tires on it, I've got those Motaz tires on mine. Those tires are like 20-something pounds stupid. each. Those things are like straight off a tractor. <laughs> um. I've run out of things to say on our to-do list other than uh, Honda needs to build that CRF450L rally. Please build it. It, it needs to happen. They need to build it before the Tenere 700 there's, so there's, we can make a point here. Yamaha has left the door open. Yamaha <laughs> or Honda, get your foot in it. Um, so uh, unless you have anything else, Shaheen. No, I just, uh, you know, as I tell everybody, make good choices and remember, remember safety third. Safety third, yes. That's very important. That's a philosophy to live by. But um, thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate you coming on the show and, and talking motorcycles with me. I think, uh, you know, looking forward to to more conversations to come. All right, man. Well, uh, good talk, and I'll see you out there. Safety third. That was a good. That was a good thing about motorcycles we just did there.